Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast. I am Josh Wagar, and we're happy to have you joining in today. This is a podcast where missionaries come on and tell us authentic stories about their time on the field that they love, and I know that you will too. It's six questions in nine-ish minutes because we all know that without a timeline, missionaries can get awfully long-winded. And so today we're joined by Brother Colton Lee. Excited to have you on, and so thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Great. Well, let's hop right into this. And uh, question number one, take uh, a few sentences and tell us about you, your family, and your field. Yeah, so my name is Colton Lee. And my wife and I, we lead a ministry called Project Everywhere. And Project Everywhere, simply put, is a ministry where we find unevangelized people groups and preach the gospel to them. Awesome. That is such a needed ministry, because like you and I were just talking about a minute ago, uh, you can spend your lifetime doing that and probably never repeat the same people group. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, then number two for you, uh, what is the best part about being in missions? Yeah, I think the best part about being a missionary is you really get to see like miracles, like big miracles from each day unfold right in front of you. And I think that we, we often, we, we often want to have a life where God shows himself in those awesome ways. But I think a lot of times we don't want to actually go about living in such a way where it puts, you know, uh, us at a place where we need God to work in those ways. But I think uh, pursuing missions as, as your life is a way where you really set yourself up to see God provide in, in miraculous ways. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. That is a cool aspect. So, yeah. um, so then number three, uh, kind of the inverse, what's the more challenging, what's one of the more challenging aspects of missions for you and your life? Yeah. You know, Josh, for, I'd have to say for me is it's just, so the nature of our ministry is we're in a lot of different places around the world. And specifically we're in a lot of places that are unreached, untouched, and I really just personally find myself struggling with uh, wanting to be the Lord of the harvest instead of just working for the Lord of the harvest. And, and uh, just with different teens and, and people in the States, uh, I have to be careful with not saying, no, you need to go to this unreached place because they don't have anyone and making money in America is just a vain way to live your life. And you should, what you should do is, is sell everything you have and go to this unreached place and see God perform miracles in the most awesome way right in front of you. And I just, I know there's a balance in that and I have to be careful about that. Well put, man. I, I like that. I appreciate your answer. So. All right. So the number four, just real quick, uh, give a shout out. What are a couple of missionaries that you think need to be on this podcast? Yeah. So there's a couple of my friends that I think they are, like they are in the uttermost doing the work. And one of them is Michael Dietrich. We talked a little bit about him. Uh, before the show started. He's in the Solomon Islands on uh, uh, Guadalcanal and Haniara. And he's just, you know, he's putting hands to the plow and he's, he's uh, working at starting a church there. And I think he's seeing God bless his ministry and, and he's just a dedicated guy. So I filled in for him uh, a couple years ago for a month and I was just able to see uh, how God had blessed his ministry and, and his heartbeat with it. And so he's, he's the real deal. And then the second one is Paul Zimmer. So Paul is a little bit closer in your area. He's in Yap and he's just getting ready to, uh, finish a building project in a Christian school that he's doing. And uh, Paul's another guy that he's just, you know, he's a real deal. And being at rubbing shoulders with those guys, it is such an encouragement to me because you see different guys that you're like, man, that's, that's awesome. Like what they're doing is that's sweet. I want to, I want to do something like that. So those are two guys, uh, Michael Dietrich and Paul Zimmer for sure. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, man. I look forward to. Well, uh, so Michael has been on, and so uh, you guys can go back and watch that podcast if you haven't seen it yet. And yeah, we definitely need to get Paul on here. He is like the Christian energizer bunny man. He just right. Doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. So. Man. The guy just he he does everything too. Like yeah. he he does solar panels, roofing, like a concrete work, just tons. And then he also yeah. preaches and plants yeah. churches in remote islands in the Pacific. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I appreciate your recommendations. I look forward to getting a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five, kind of the big one. Everybody's waiting for this. Um, Take about three to five minutes and just tell us your favorite story about your time serving the Lord. Yeah. So I think when I got that, when I saw that question, I was, uh, took me a little bit because, you know, there's a lot of different things where you're like, man, there's a lot of cool things that when you see God work, you just want to talk about them all. But one thing that stands out probably above all of them in a story that I'll never forget was I think two years ago, we were in North Madagascar and we were in a place called Anjanamavu, Madagascar. And um, <clears throat> if you're familiar with the geography of Madagascar, the capital city, probably gonna butcher it, but it's close to Antananarivo. And I think, I think they just call it Tana for short. So we got to Antananarivo, took like an 18 hour drive north to a place called Majunga. We uh, got on, on a boat in Majunga, crossed a little bay, drove like six hours west to a place called Sululala, stayed the night there got on another boat or barge type thing, drove across a little body of water, and then drove uh, six or seven hours south to Anjanamabu. So it was, it was a taxing several days to get there. And when we got there, we started uh, going to the different uh, like uh, open air markets that were that the village had. And uh, through our interpreter, they, so in Madagascar, they're not like Madagascarians, they're Malagasy. <laughs> um, so they speak Malagasy. And specifically there, they spoke the Sakalave dialect. So we had an interpreter that was interpreting for us. And so we were in the, in the marketplace, we were preaching the gospel and, and passing out gospel tracts in their language. And we were uh, telling them that, Hey, in several, several days, we're going to have, uh, we we're inviting them to cinema Kome to come to the cinema that we are going to present the Jesus film. And uh, so it's like Jesus film is like a two hour gospel presentation in their language. Anyway. So as we were preaching, uh, probably several hours in, we were just going to do that for several days in preparation for the Jesus film. And so the first day we got there, though, after a couple hours of preaching, a gentleman who owned one of the, the storefront market areas uh, that was like, the way it was set up is like, they live in one part of the store and then the market's in the other part. And he came out to us uh, and, and through the interpreter, he was talking to the team and he said, 10 years ago, my wife and I, we came to this village. Uh, we were, they were, they, were, they were pretty close to that, this village at the time or where they had moved from. But he said, 10 years ago, my wife and I had moved here. And it, we, we realized there was so much confusion here about who God was. And he said, 10 years ago, my wife and I began praying that God would send someone to clear up the confusion. And he said, would, would you guys, if, I don't know if, if you have time, would you guys uh, come to my house every night that you're here? Would you clear up the confusion and, and tell me and my wife and my kids who who God really is. We've been praying that God would send someone just to do that. And it, you know, like, obviously we, we heard that and we were like, yes, this is why we were, we came. Right. And it was interesting though, because so we, we were able to spend five or six nights at his house and each night we were just going through the gospel and explaining it and, and answering questions. There was a lot of uh, false teaching that had gone in the village with different cults that had gone there and people thought because they, they worked on the Sabbath that God had to send them to hell. So the soup, they were just really confused about a lot of stuff. So we were trying to explain the gospel to them and, and three or four nights went by and, and uh, they were still asking questions and still weren't sure about some things. And then the last night came 
And uh, I was sharing the gospel with the family there and, and the group had kind of grown it. It started with the gentleman, his wife, and I think three or four kids. And then the, the man's two brothers started coming by. And this was like at, at nine or 10 at night. And we're all like, uh, you know, candlelight trying to, like, there's not electricity in the guy's house. <laughs> trying to like, you know, like read, you know, I have this tiny little like print Bible that well, I have light, it's fine. But with a candle, it's really hard. So I was trying not to, you know, light my Bible on fire and stuff and uh, trying to share the gospel with them and answer their questions. And the, the very last night, the message or the, the, what I had prepared to share with them uh, was coming to a close. And the interpreter, he was talking to them about some other stuff as well as I was uh, trying to explain some different things. And he looked, looked and turned to me and said, uh, now they're ready, call for decision. And uh, so I, I, through the interpreter said, you know, you, you need to make a choice to believe. And just mm-hmm. knowing these things isn't enough. You, you have to trust them and depend upon them and believe. And after I said that, I, I asked who would like to receive Christ. And, you know, there, so it took a minute for the interpreter to interpret it. And then there was like the, kind of this, this, you know, time of quiet where you're like, okay, did, did they understand the question? And it was just, it was the coolest thing. The father then, the guy who said that he'd been praying him and his wife for 10 years for someone to come and clear up the confusion. He, he raised his hand and, and through the interpreter said, I'd like to receive Christ. So he bowed his head and he prayed. And then right after that his I asked who else. And then his brother raised his hand and said, I want, I want to receive Christ. And then right there he bowed his head and prayed. And then his other brother, and it just went down. His two brothers got saved and then his wife got saved. And then all of his kids got saved. And, and we left, when we left that village, we just, we had such an awe about, God cared about them so much that he would burden our hearts back in the United States, not knowing them from anywhere or not, not having any other way to get to them other than a very expensive missions trip, going there in as remote as possible of a place. Uh, we actually had to get a helicopter to bring us out of the village just because it was, it's that remote. And God cared so much about them to answer that prayer, to send someone to clear up the confusion. And I, I really believe that when people seek God, God answers that prayer, and often it's by sending missionaries. Dude, awesome, awesome story. That's kind of one of those classic, you know, cut through the jungle for eight days to, to <laughs> get to the people, and that's awesome. It, uh, praise the Lord, and I'm excited to meet that brother and his family one day. Yeah, so, hey, Lord willing, in a couple years, I want to be able to make it back to him and, and do some discipleship with him, but yeah. Glory. Definitely. Man, praise the Lord. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, all right, as we wrap up, final question. You can embarrass yourself for a minute because that's always fun. What's a cultural or language blunder that you're willing to share? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's, I unfortunately have a lot of them. So <laughs> um, one of them, I was in the Solomon Islands like a year or two ago, and that's where Michael Dietrich is. And uh, so it's near uh, Papua New Guinea and Australia, that, that area in the Pacific. And um, there was, this was super small world kind of a thing. I had a friend that I met in Tennessee, like five or 10 years ago, whose mother lived in the Solomon Islands, a Korean uh-huh. friend. It was, it was such a weird thing. When I posted on Facebook that I was going there, she was like, no way. My mom lives there. And I was like in disbelief, like this is, you gotta be kidding me. So I meet up with this, my friend's mom and, uh, she, she's a Korean lady and she doesn't speak English. She only speaks Korean and pidgin. So, and I, I, have, I speak broken pidgin because I've just been there for a little bit of time trying to pick it up. And uh, so she said over the phone, she said, meet me at Kuroshi Hotel, which is like a, like a place to go eat. So mm-hmm. her and a couple other friends were all meeting together at this uh, restaurant in a hotel. 
And uh, on the phone, I heard Kuroshi Hotel. And uh, so I was driving around the main strip of uh, Haniara in Guadalcanal looking for Kuroshi Hotel. And, and I'm asking different people, I'm like, uh, you, you saw it, like, you know where uh, the place's name that's Kuroshi Hotel? And everyone's like, no. And, and I'm trying to follow the instructions. And I'm like, and, and I didn't want to be like insulting because the lady was Korean. I was just trying to think like, okay, Kuroshi, that's what she said, Kuroshi. And uh, so I was just trying to think of, okay, Kuroshi, what was she meaning? And then I, of, of just, you know, all people, I saw someone who was actually, that was in the church that I was uh, at. And I was like, hey, uh, do you, George, do you, know, do you know where Kuroshi Hotel is? Do you know this area? And he's like, no. So he was asking everyone. We spent like a half an hour asking all these people. And then finally, the guy that was a part of the church, he was like, do you think she might have been saying, trying to say Coral Sea? And there's like a hotel, right? We were like walking all around. It's called Coral Sea Hotel. And I was like, oh, no. I just thought because of her accent that it was Kuroshi because that sounded like Korean and uh, made a fool of myself. I was late and I didn't tell them why I was late. I was, <laughs> I was having a hard time looking for it. Uh, yeah. looking for Coral Sea Hotel, but I made it. That's awesome, man. Uh, good story. So nothing like looking around for something right in front of your face. I've been there before too, I do believe. So yeah, um, man, thank you. Yeah, hey, so. thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, our privilege. So if people wanna keep up to date with your story, how can they do that? Yeah, so I have a website, which is my full name. So coltonwyattlee.com. That's C-O-L-T-O-N-W-Y-A-T-T, Lee, L-E-E. Or if you have Facebook, just look me up, Colton Wyatt Lee on Facebook, and there'll be a link to all that. All right, we'll do, and we'll have that posted in the description. So, all right, brother. Well, thank you for joining us today. And for all of you listening, thank you for tuning in. This has been Josh Wagar with Brother Colton Lee, and you've been listening to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast.